morning, familia. Man, that was that was poor. Good morning. All right. Um, before I start, as always, it is always a blessing for me to be here and spend some time with you guys. Um, I always feel that um, that I get to spend time with some part of the family, and, and you're more like the part of the family that I don't get to see more. So this be being here and spending time with you and being able to preach the word to you, for me, it's a family reunion with the, with the family that I don't get to see often. So it's always a blessing for me to be here. I got to tell you that the passage that was assigned to me is Matthew, uh, Mark, chapter 7, 1 to 23. But it's 23 verses. It's, that's a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, at Iglesia, I, uh, we did a series through the Gospel of Mark, and it took me 55 sermons to finish. So this is like a miracle right here. Um, so this is what we're going to do, all right? And I'm going to need you to help me with this. If you have a Bible, keep it open as we read through the thing. And if you are more modern and cool, you could keep it on, all right? Um, but I'm not going to be able to read every passage there, so I'm going to make references to different passages and we're going to read a few passages, a few verses from the passage. Uh, but let me start with this. In 1971, there was a musical called Fiddler and the Roof. Any of you guys ever heard of that? Can you please raise your hand? Yeah, the group before you, every single one of them knew that. <laughs> uh, which is good. It made me feel so good. Uh, but it's, it's, it's about this, the musical is about this Jew family in Russia that were trying to hold to their traditions as much as they could. And they have this song that they sing throughout the movie. And I'm not a good singer because I'm not like Lon, so I'm just going to read it, all right? <laughs> it says, a fiddler on the roof sounds crazy, no? But here in a little village of Anatevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition. Can you say tradition? You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know. But because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Without our traditions, our lives will be, will be as shaky as the fiddle on the roof. Listen to this part. As the good book says, when the poor man eats a chicken, one of them is sick. Where does the book say that? Well, it doesn't say that exactly, but somewhere there's something about a chicken. <laughs> Look at the traditions are so beautiful. Like, really, traditions are beautiful. I think that some of us here, at least maybe all of us, love some kind of traditions, and we embrace traditions, and we hold traditions. And you got family traditions, and we got church traditions, and traditions are beautiful. So let me, let me start by sharing with you some of my favorite traditions. From uh, I was born in Colombia, so let me share with you some of my favorite traditions of being Colombian. Um, you know, and it's, it's Christmas Eve. And in Colombia, we get to buy fireworks. You know, we, we, we like to have fun. 
you know, it's not illegal to have fun. So everyone walks around with these fireworks. It's, it's so beautiful to see a three-year-old boy walking around with a fire. It's, it's amazing. It's, man, traditions are beautiful. And, we, and, we, and the family gathers together around 6 p.m. And we actually have our dinner around 10 p.m. Yeah, because we believe that it, is, um, that it is okay to eat past 5 on Christmas Eve. You know, we actually think that if you don't eat at 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve, there's something wrong with you. But this is the most important and beautiful thing of this tradition, that we open our gifts at 12 a.m. So we actually put the gifts throughout the day under the tree. And so if there's little kids, you get, you're probably going to have to explain that to your kids. But we, we put it under the tree, and our kids, every single one of them, get, walk, get to walk around the tree and look at the gifts and come with, with an extreme, painful, full of anxiety face to us and say, is it time yet? But you know what's more, more, even more beautiful than that? Is to say, no, not yet. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And they go, really? Yeah, really. You know, it makes you feel power. You know, you got the power. You, I tell you when to open those gifts. we got beautiful traditions. So imagine me coming to the United States where most people are sleeping by 8 o'clock on Christian Eve. <laughs> by the time you get up to open your gifts, we're finishing our party. But, this, but then I realized this about traditions. Traditions are beautiful, but they could be so dangerous. Traditions are beautiful, but they could be so dangerous so the text that we're looking in today is a it's a conversation that we have between the pharisees and the religious of the law or the teachers of the law and jesus verses one and two and they they approach jesus because they're saying look at we notice that some of your disciples do not wash their hands before they eat and verses three and four tells us that they do that and they're questioning this because uh, they do not eat unless they wash their hands, ceremonial washing, according to the tradition of the elders. So they approach Jesus and they ask him this question, verse 5. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? See, this text, the word tradition appears many times. You find it in verse 3, 5, 8, 9, and 13. And as I said before, traditions are beautiful. Because the traditions is almost a description or a reflection of who we are, of our culture, of our values, our customs, our traditions. All of that stuff is a reflection of a tradition. I actually think that the younger generation tend to forget that. But then... Traditions could become something so dangerous when they take the place or, or, or we, we misunderstand traditions or we, we misplace traditions and we put them in a place where they're not supposed to be. The question for us today, this morning, is how do we keep ourselves from making of traditions something dangerous? How do we keep ourselves and our own traditions from becoming something much more than what they actually are? 
Well, I want to talk to you guys about this subject and the three subtitles. In order for us to keep our traditions where they're supposed to do, we need to be confronted by the truth. We need to acknowledge our reality and we need to believe the good news. Confronted by the truth, acknowledge our reality and believe the good news. So let's start with the first point, confronted by the truth. By the truth. So here we have the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, coming to Jesus and these people love traditions. They love them so much that they're intentional about keeping traditions. And you got to understand, understand why is it that they do that. Is they want to keep themselves clean. They want to present themselves clean before God. So if you read with me in verse 4, it says, that when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. See, this is smart people right here. People that know the Bible. People that knew that in Exodus 30, God demanded of the priests, before coming into their presence, to wash their hands and to wash their feet. They knew that. But this is the problem. That what what started as a commandment for the priest, by the second century, many Jews believe that that should be applied to everybody. And by the third century, they believed that washing the hands and the feet were not enough, but you got to wash everything else to be before the presence of God. So this is what they did. They mixed the written law of God with oral traditions. And they started to add laws to the law of God. And they had 600 plus laws. Because they wanted to fence the law and they wanted to protect the law. The problem with that is that they gave their own interpretation of the law. Traditions could be dangerous. They got to the point when they couldn't recognize what was written law and oral law. They got to the point where they would put the same value and the written law and the oral law. Humans' traditions became God's traditions. That's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing for two main reasons. One, because it makes you submit to things that you never ought to submit. While you're pushing the the law of God to the side. You know where I got that from? Verses 8 and 9. If If you can read with me, it says... You have let go, pause there for a second, that word let go is push away. Not just ignore, push away. You have let go the commands of God and are holding, pause right there, holding is given authority, divine authority to something that doesn't have it. You have let go the commandments of God and are holding unto human traditions. Later on he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God In order to observe, obey, or submit your own traditions. You know, the song that I I sang at the beginning. They they say that their traditions is is the only way in which they know what they're supposed to do and what God expects of them. Traditions. 
And then they come with the part of the chicken. Yeah, tra traditions are dangerous. They're beautiful, but they're dangerous. When you don't know how to make a difference between what God says and what you say. And the second consequence of that is that you could get to the point where you actually invalidate God's word because of your own traditions. And that's why we have a whole explanation here about the korban. So if you read with me in verse 10, it says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. 11. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is korban, that means devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother, thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions. So let me explain that really quick. For the sake of time, uh, let me explain that quick, all right? This, this, the, the law of korban, it was an oral tradition. It was not a written tradition. Um... And, he, and, he, and he, uh, the, the word in the Hebrew is more like offering. You know, it was an offering to God. So they, they had something, right? And they said, well, I want to have this thing, and I want to dedicate it to God. I want to give it to Him. I want to withdraw this from my possession and give it to God. It was a custom. But, the, but this is the thing. That the fifth commandment says that you should honor your parents. Amen? amen. If you said amen, that's because you're a parent. <laughs> but the fifth commandment says that you ought to off, you know, honor your parents. And honor doesn't mean only respect and talk to them nice and stuff like that. But it means actually provide in times of need. Well, these people knew this. But let's say that you had dedicated something, korban, to God as an offering. But your family is struggling, and your parents are struggling. So you will go to the priest, or the religious leaders, or the temple, and you will say, look, can I have it back, please? You know, may, I, I might want to try to sell it so I could provide something for my family. And the religious leaders, based on a custom, a human tradition, could look at this person and say, sorry, bro, Corban. I'm sorry, Corban. And what Jesus is telling them is, that is crazy. You are going against God's principles because of your principles. You overruling God's rules by your rules. This is what they did. Men created in the image of God made of that image a God. And made of God into just an image. You know, as I, as I was looking at my Christianity and the things, my upbringing, and as I look at Christianity overall, I think that Christianity is full of that. I think that there are certain things and values and ideas and customs that they have and we believe and we hold to be true. Nothing wrong with that. But I think that there's a lot of things that we do simply because they're traditions. And when we're confronted or we face anybody that has a different view, we could actually go to the point of saying, that's not what God says. And you know what that does? That divides the church. And that divides Christianity. 
So the Bible people do not hang around with the Baptists, and the Baptists do not hang around with the Presbyterians, and the Presbyterians, God forbid, hanging around with the Pentecostals. Because of human traditions. And when someone asks, why is, it that stuff, why is it that you do the stuff you do? We usually have only three answers. First one is, that's the way we've done it. Look, and nothing wrong with that. I just think that we've got to acknowledge and say, this is the way we like it. This is the way we have always done it. Look at my daughters when they grow up. They come to me and say, Bobby, won't you change that rule about the Christmas Eve gift thing? You know what I'm going to say? No. <laughs> I say, why? I got two options. One, I make it spiritual or I make it non-spiritual. Let me give you the spiritual one. You know, Camila and Alejandra, sorry that um, we can't do that. You know why? Because you've got to learn how to suffer. <laughs> and then I, I could even go deeper and say, you know how Jesus suffered on the cross? <laughs> you've got to learn how to do that. Or I could be honest enough and say, we like it that way. We, we just like it. You know why I like it? Because there's an emotional connection to it. it. It brings me back to where I come from. I love that stuff. It's an honest answer. You know why we do this stuff? We do because we like it. And we don't add to it. And we don't mix it with God's word. And I think that the word gives us enough room to have many different traditions. So the first excuse that we could say, look, this is the way we've done it. This is the way I've always done it. You know, that's one of the things that actually divide generations between, uh, among the church. You know, the younger generations listen to a style of music and say, man, that is so boring. Well, that's how they like it. And then the older generation come and say to the younger generation, why are you guys so loud? That's how we like it. You know, if any of you guys go across the hall to Iglesia... You guys know that we're loud. You know why? Because that's how you worship in heaven. We're more biblical than you guys. It's, that's just how we like it. But the second thing, why we hold on to tradition so bad, is because we usually try to go against something that we just don't like. So you have this thing that you really don't like about these people. Oh, we're going to do this, and this has got to be my tradition. That's cra crazy implications for a church. Crazy implications in your family. First, second, and third generation people. Crazy implications in the culture. Crazy implications wherever you go. When you make up traditions, God's law. You want to be confronted with the truth. The truth is this. Unless you make how to make the difference between God's word and your word, you would always struggle with traditions. You will never learn how to accept other people. Listen to this. You will never give grace. You can. Because we have made of man's opinion God's word. 
That's why traditions are dangerous. They're beautiful. We embrace them and we hold them. But they're dangerous if we're not be careful with them. Now, this is the question we've got to ask. Is there anything even more dangerous than that? And I would say, yes. Not knowing why is it that we do that. That's more dangerous. Not knowing what is it. Why is it that we change and we make things into divine things if they're not divine? Well, that would take me to my second point. We need to acknowledge a reality. You need to be able to see something that God wants you to see. It is the same thing that Jesus wanted these people to see. So here we have Jesus having a conversation with this group of men and use, and he uses one of the strongest words in the Bible. One of the strongest words in the Bible. Actually, when Rob gave me this text, um, I, I wonder, why is this guy giving me this text? You know, he wants me to quit. What does he want? It is the word hypocrite. Look at the word hypocrite. is one of those words that it doesn't matter how you say it. It always hurts. If I say to you, you guys hypocrites? Of course it all hurt. But if I go, you guys are so hypocrite. It still hurts the same. <laughs> and Jesus comes to these people and calls them hypocrites. Verse 6. He replied... I said I was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, listen, the word hypocrite is the same word where we get the word acting, actors. No offense for anybody that is into dramas, but it's, that's what it means. It's, it's you playing a role. So what Jesus is telling these people is that they're playing a role. So they want to be clean. They want really to be clean. And they're holding to these traditions because they want to be clean, but they're doing it as an act. It's an external act. It's not coming from their heart. It's just an ex external act. And from verses 14 to 19, it seems like if Jesus starts to talk, to talk about something else, he talks about the heart, us not being unclean for things outside. And he says, there's things outside that come into you and that doesn't make you unclean. It doesn't make you unclean the hot dog you ate. It doesn't make you unclean the, the fruit that you picked from the floor you ate. It doesn't even make you unclean when you chew the same gum that somebody else chewed before. <laughs> I don't know where that stuff came from. <laughs> but it doesn't make you unclean. Something else makes you unclean. And then you got verse 20. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, from within, out of the person's heart that the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Question is this. Why would Jesus start talking about this when he was talking about being clean and the traditions? Well, the answer is simple. What Jesus saw in their heart 
is that they were trying to clean themselves by their traditions. That's why they hold on to them so hard. That's why they press other people to follow the traditions because they believe that there's something that I do, a law that I follow, something that I fulfill, then I'll be clean. If I come to church, then I'll be clean. If I read the Bible, then I'll be clean. If I pray hard, then I'll be clean. If I give a lot of money, then I'll be clean. If I fast, then I'll be clean. And you could just put anything to it. And Jesus saw this. And says, you're just acting. You know, Tim Keller says that there's two ways in order for us to avoid God. Two ways. By being disobedient and by being obedient. Disobedient because when you do whatever you want, you just say, well, I don't care about God. I'll do whatever I want. But when you are so obedient, and nothing wrong with being obedient, you might be trying to earn your way into God's presence. Isn't that crazy dangerous? So here we have a group of men with 600 plus laws and traditions. And they wanted to use every single one of them to clean themselves so they could earn their way into God's presence. And what Jesus tells them is, you have corrupted hearts. Your heart is not okay. Guess what? That's not true just of them. It's true of us today here. It's true of me as I preach this sermon. You know, inside of me, there's a part that wants to give glory to God. And there's a part of me that wants to steal His glory so I could take it. The difference between me and some other people is that I say it. Jesus saw that we all have a corrupted heart. That we might be saying, doing, thinking, and doing whatever to keep ourselves clean or to become clean. I actually, I actually think that Jesus does something amazing here at the end. You guys notice the list of sins that we listed? Well, it seems like if Jesus is giving us two categories of sins... The sins that we would consider in our culture, in our time, as major sins. So he talks about sexual immorality. He talks about theft, murder, or adultery. We could say, oh man, thanks goodness, I don't have any of those. But then he goes into something that Jerry Bridges will call respectable sins. Greed. You guys hear that? Greed, malice, deceit, lunes, which is profanity, whatever comes out of your mouth, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. 
And this is what Jesus is doing to them, and this is what Jesus is doing to us. You think that you have a heart that truly wants to honor God? See if you have categories here. See which one of these you don't do. Now, we read this, and automatically our heart would tell us and would take us to say, man, I got to do something. I got to do something because I don't want to live like that. I want to do something because I want to give, give Him glory. I want to do something. I, wanna, I have to do something. And this is what we do as human beings. We start to create goals or things that we must approach or we must conquer or we must do. Listen to me. Just to realize that it's not enough. Just to realize that it doesn't matter how good you get. It is not enough. It is not enough coming to church. It is not enough serving. It, it, it is not enough to have all these spiritual uh, disciplines which are good and we need them. But at the end of the day, they're not enough. They are not enough. It's like us running a treadmill. Running uphill and we never get anywhere. Us trying to clean ourselves by things we do. And you know what that does? That creates an amazing amount of guilt on your part. Amazing amount of guilt. And we start to look at all the people and say, Look, I want to do that. I want to be like that person. Just to know that you can never be like that person and you don't know the secrets of the heart of that person. So we are like the young uh, rich ruler that approached Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know if you ever read that story, but Jesus never, he told them do all that stuff and then he walked away because he couldn't do them. So the question for us today is, what must we do to clean ourselves? Look, and I'm going to give you a word that in the Hebrew and in the Greek and Latin and whatever language you think is so hard to translate. Listen to this. Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing for you to do. God never called us to do nothing. No, to do something. He called us to do nothing. It's lost in translation. You're never called to do anything. You are called to believe something. Oh, Hannibal, that's not enough. Come on, give me some practical implications of this. Please do. That just reveals where your heart is and how is it that you could clean yourself to be in the presence of God. This is what you ought to believe, the good news. And the good news is this. Realize that you are broken. Realize that your heart is not good. No bueno. Realize that you're evil inside. There's a part of you that is evil. You know when people tell you trust your heart? 
follow your heart? Please don't. Please don't. Your heart is deceitful. It will make you look more beautiful than what you actually are. More talented than what you actually are. More holy than what you actually are. Believe the good news that you don't have to be clean. You're not clean. Actually, the number one qualification for us to be Christians is that we acknowledge that. Dane Ortland, in his book, Defiant Grace, says this. The ancient Greeks told us to be moderate by knowing our inclinations. The Romans told us to be strong by ordering our lives. Buddhism tells us to be disillusioned by annihilating our consciousness. Hinduism tells us to be absorbed by merging our souls. Islam tells us to be submissive by, sum, by subjecting our wills. Agnosticism tells us to be at peace by ignoring our doubts. Moralism tells us to be good by discharging our obligations. Only the gospel tells us to be free by acknowledging our failure. Christianity is the unreligion because it is the one faith whose founder tells us to bring not our doing, but our need. There was a kid with a raggedy clothes that comes into an orphanage and, they, and knocks on the door. The guy opens the door and says, what do you want? And the kid says, can I come in? What are you going to give me? And the kid answered this. I thought that my rags were enough. Jesus says, it is enough. You know why? Because we can clean ourselves. We ought to believe that we cannot clean ourselves. We ought to believe that He cleans us. But now, there's two ways of cleaning. The process of cleaning and declaring you clean. When Jesus lived the life that nobody has lived, when He died the death that we all deserve, and when He resurrected, He imputed a new the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus. When God sees you, He sees you clean. Listen to this. In the midst of your sin, in the most terrible of your sin, you could always remember that if you accepted Jesus into your heart, you are clean. And third, you ought to believe that in the gospel, there's transformation. The gospel transforms. You don't need applications. You don't need practical things for me to give you. You need the gospel. That produces fruit. Everybody. Lord, there's not one person in this place. At this moment, who is not guilty of holding to things, thinking that those things will make us clean. There's not one person in this place right now, right here, listening to this message, that is not guilty about trying to earn our way into your presence. I pray that the Holy Spirit may use the liberating and fashionable and controllable power of the gospel to make us clean and to continue to make us clean.